Shalom Chavra. So I want to start off by thanking Chazak and Twain Time for all the amazing things they did for Klai Yisrael, but also for putting together this year and giving us the opportunity to delve into some really deep and powerful inspiring ideas for the state of night. And I want to start off by just framing how this is going to work, because what sometimes happens for these types of shirim is that we'll just develop a bunch of great Vartloch, a bunch of great Divri Torah that you can use for state of night. And that's not what we're going to do here. Because what I want to do is something a little different. I want to build a framework, some powerful framing ideas, concepts that will allow us to approach the Seder night in a much deeper and fundamentally different type of way. And within each of these frameworks, we're then going to show how these ideas appear throughout the Seder night and throughout the Haggadah. So we're not going to just be reading the Haggadah and going through the Haggadah one, you know, step by step and saying, here's a great Tvartori, here's a great idea. We're going to be doing this a lot more conceptually. And once we build the ideas and the framing ideas, we're going to show the applications. Another really important framing idea for the shear is that it will be longer than a normal shear because we're trying to build as much as we can to really empower us with a way to approach the Seder night with such depth and profound insight that will transform not only our Seder night, but everyone else who's at our Seder will be able to share these ideas in a very deep and inspiring way. So, if you're not able to listen to this entire shear at once, it's okay. The recording will be online. You can listen to the rest of it afterwards. You can break it up into pieces and listen to it in a bunch of different stages because as opposed to breaking it down fundamentally into part one and part two and part three, we're going to develop everything right now and you can decide whether you want to listen to the entire thing at once or if you want to create your own personal version of part one, part two, and part three. Because there obviously will be parts this year, there will be a bunch of different different Torah, but we're going to try to intertwine and connect everything together into one fully developed year. And you can decide if you have the sizzflash to really sit through the entire thing at once, or if you want to break it down into your own individual pieces. And I want to start off this year by asking uh, perhaps the most essential question to approaching the Seder, which is when we start off the Seder night, we read through all the steps of the Seder. And we don't find this by any other aspect of Judaism. You don't have, for example, when it comes to Sukkot, you don't have people saying Lulav, Shofar, Sukkah. When it comes to Purb, you don't have people saying Megillah, Shalchmanos, Matamsa, Vyonim, Homentashin. But when it comes to Pesach, we go through the entire Seder. And the question is why? Why is Pesach different than the Seder night? We mention every single step, all the stages of that night. There's a very deep idea here. Because on the Pesach Seder night, there is an immense amount of amazing things that are happening. And perhaps it is the, the quantitatively, it is perhaps the most abundant in terms of how much we are doing at one time. And if you want to really tap into the Seder, if you want to really accomplish and have an exceptional Seder, you have to go through all the stages because you have to know what you're trying to accomplish. You have to start out with the end in mind. You have to know, what are we doing tonight? And it's like any great vacation. You have to have an itinerary. You have to have a plan. You have to know the destination. If you want to achieve anything great in life, you have to know what you're trying to accomplish. You think about what are your goals in life? If you have a step-by-step -step plan, then you can actually accomplish it. So on the Seder night, we start out by having a step-by-step -step itinerary of what we are trapping into, what we are trying to accomplish in the Seder night. And if you think about it, it's like uh, the mushle I like to give 
is, is an archer. You can take the greatest archer who's ever lived and he can hit the target from, you know, no matter how far away he can hit the target. But if you blindfold him and you spin him around a couple times, he won't be able to hit the target because he doesn't know where he's aiming. And it's the same thing in life. You have to know where you're aiming. And while this obviously applies to life itself, the seed or night, because there's so much we're doing, the, the Haggadah is so full quantitatively and there's just so many ideas so many things to tap into we have to set the itinerary we have to set the outline we have to know what we're doing tonight so we can really take full advantage and i would say that, that that's step one now you know that you're approaching the seder so step two is that the seder is not only a personal goal where you as an individual, especially if you're the, the head of the Seder, you're leading the Seder, it's not just for you, but it's an experience that's supposed to be klali. It's, it's supposed to be a powerful experience for everyone involved. And if you think about it, this is why the Rambam, the Rambam, when he's talking about the mitzvah, he says that there are different levels for different types of people. So for small children, their is really just hearing the story. But for those who are a little older and intellectually developed, their mitzvah is you're supposed to tell over the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And, and everyone's supposed to have their own experience. It's supposed to be a very individualized, klali experience. So everyone's supposed to tap in on their own level. But... As the Rosh Seder, if you're leading the Seder, you're supposed to make sure that everyone's able to tap in on their level. And that's very important. I mean, if you think about it, we say Halachman. It's a, it's a related question. You'll see how it's related in a couple minutes. But Halachma'anya, we say Halachma'anya, and the classic question is we're inviting guests to our Seder. So, so why are we inviting guests when we've already started the Seder? It's the question everyone asks. It'd be much more genuine to say when you're at shul or before Pesach to invite people to your Seder, but you're at the Seder table, it seems very ingenuine to say, oh, anyone who wants to come can join our Seder. So what's the pshat? So th there's a bunch of beautiful pshatim. So the first pshat is basically rejecting the premise that it's not too late. The Abu Draham actually says, he says that people used to actually find people on the streets during their Seder and invite them in. It was a, it was a genuine invitation that when you see people that are at that point in, in the Seder night, you would invite people into your, into your home to join in to your Seder. But, you know, many people don't think that it's, you know, it's literal pshat. So what's, what's pshat here? So another step is more conceptual, which is it's showing the koach the importance of inviting guests. Now, the true, it may not be practical right now, but it's the importance of inviting guests because the Seder night is a klali. It's it's a it's done b'tzibur. The whole uh, we're going to talk more about this a little later. But part of the whole point of the Seder night was doing it b'chabura, was doing it as part of a group. It's a klali experience, and the Rav of Salavechik, he actually developed a beautiful idea in terms of zman so in terms of the, the theme of chayrus, of freedom, that only a free person can invite guests. Someone who's enslaved has no reshus, has no ability to invite someone into their home, doesn't have a home to invite people into. Someone who's free has a home. You know, in addition to leaning, that's part of the chayrus, we invite people into our homes. The, the ability to invite people is a science, a simon of freedom. But the Shlach HaKadosh gives a beautiful approach. He says, we're actually, the ability to invite guests itself is what we're trying to tap into. 
during the Zman of the Beis Hamikdash, we couldn't invite guests at this time in the Seder because you had to, when it came to the Chabura of, of the Seder night, you had, for eating the Korn Pesach, you had to be designated before the Seder. And if you weren't designated, you couldn't join. We're saying, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're in the time of human history, time of Jewish history, where we can invite guests. And that's the sadness. It's the Avelus, so to speak, of the night that we're living in the world where we don't have the current Pesach, where we can invite guests. And we're saying that's why, actually, if you look at it, we end off by saying this year we're doing this. But next year in Eretz Yisrael, we'll, you know, we're going to, it's going to be different. Why do we end off that way? Because that's the whole point of Lachmania. This year we can invite guests, but hopefully next year we won't be able to invite guests at this point because we're going to be eating the Korban Pesach where we'll have to have designated uh, designated Chabura in order to eat it. But why did I ask this at this point? Because, you know, in a little more uh, of, of a drush approach, Lachmania, who are we inviting to the Seder night? We're inviting ourselves. We're inviting ourselves, we're inviting everyone at the table. Why? Because so often we have a Seder night that's not a true Seder night. A Seder night is supposed to be transformative. It's supposed to be experiential. It's supposed to be inspiring. It's supposed to be life-changing. It's supposed to be something which we all tap into on our own level, but in a deep and genuine way. And not everyone does that. Very often there are people who are zoned out, especially until the meal starts, that people are just like, you know, looking at their watch. When are we going to start eating? We're inviting ourselves to the Seder night and everyone at the table, but it starts with you. You know, start start with yourself, then you can expand to the rest of your family and everyone else at the table. And I think that that's so important because we're trying to create an avira, we're trying to create an environment, a spiritual environment where there can be a genuine Seder night experience. And for that, we start by saying, like, let's, let's come to the Seder night. Let's be here. And what I want to do now is in order for us to really be present and really be at the Seder, we have to build into the depth of the Seder night. And I want to go deep here. I want to develop some incredibly, incredibly inspiring and powerful ideas. And I want to start with some of the more basic introductory ideas. And once we do that, then we can go and delve a little bit deeper. So I want to start off by, by asking you why we ask so many questions at the Seder night. If you're familiar with the Seder night, if you've been through the Haggadah many, many times, and if you've ever led the Seder night, then you know that in addition to the Manishtana, which are literally, you know, the four questions that we ask, the entire Seder night, the entire Seder night where you say, why do we do this? The answer is because we want children to ask questions. So the entire Seder night is is revolving around the importance of asking questions. And the question is, why, why is it so important? Why is everything about asking questions? Why do we ask questions? And why do we ask questions so that people can ask questions? The entire Seder night, you can, you can really say, in a nutshell, is, is an entire night of asking questions. And I'm going to ask you a question, which is why. And the answer, or at least one of the answers, is that you can only learn by asking a question. Because what does a question do? A question creates an opening. It is when you admit that you don't know. It creates, it sparks a curiosity. It shows that there's a void and I want to fill that void. And people who love questions love learning. And people who don't love questions think they know everything. That's why the Gemara talks about this. The Yitzhah heart makes you think you're already perfect. Like Asaph was born full whole. 
I'm perfect, I don't need to grow. It's only when you realize you're imperfect can you grow, and only when you ask questions and fill gaps in your own learning, your own knowledge, can you create genuine progress in your growth as a human being. And and I would say that, that this is something so important because those who love to ask questions love to grow, and children love to ask questions, and so often we stifle that desire because we don't have all the answers, but it's not only about having the answers, it's the process, it's the drive to learn, to grow, to question everything. And the Seder night is, is where we give over the Messorah. It's where we give over our story, Jewish story. Yitzhak Mitzrayim was the birth of Klai Yisrael. And in order to really tap into that, you have to have the curiosity to learn. To You know, the Rambam says you should imagine as if you yourself left Mitzrayim. How can I do that unless I actually open my mind up to wanting to experience, to consider what that would be like? You need to want to learn. You need to expand your mind, your consciousness, your understanding. And that is so important. And the only way to do that is asking questions. And that's the essential difference between the Chacham and the Rasha. Right? They both ask questions. The Chacham, he wants answers. He wants to grow. The Rasha, he's trying to break things down to reject everything. And the goal is to ask genuine, heartfelt questions where I just want to learn more. And, and this is perhaps, I wouldn't say the most important, but so important when it comes to the, the, the topic of asking questions. Klai Yisrael Nasev when it came to Torah truth, Nasa v'nishma, we committed to it, Nasa, we're going to do it, but nishma. And many of them at first would say, nishma means we're going to try to understand it, we're going to question everything. We embrace questions. We don't say, no, believe this and don't ask any questions. We say, yes, you have to start with commitment, but question everything so you can deepen your understanding, so you can genuinely tap into it and learn in a deeper way. We love questions. All growth starts with a question. And that is so important, and that's what the, the foundation of this air night is. So that's step number one, the importance of asking questions. Step number two, the, the, the second important theme of this air night is learning to see with spiritual eyes. It's learning to see, to see the spiritual through the physical. And, and what's the first example? That's the kara. You look at the kara, and you have all these simonim, all these different things on the plate. So why do we have all these things on the plate? So yes, the first answer to any question you ask this here night is we have it here so that the children will ask. <laughs> that's, that's always the point that goes back to our first framing principle, which is the importance of questions. But number two, number two, and before we build the, the, the last layer, the second important aspect is creating a hands-on learning experience, visual learning and hands-on learning. Because remember, an important theme of this here night is allowing everyone to tap it on their own level. And some people love to learn vocally and auditory. The auditory learning, they like to listen and speak. Some people, they like visual learning, like to see images, see things. Some people like hands-on learning. And we have the Ka'ara, which allows for visual hands-on. You pass it around. It's you do the, the Chaimei Brist talks about this. The whole essence of the Seder is doing it over the mitzvahs of the night, where it's a physical experience. It's hands-on. So part of the way that you tap into Zman Chirsinu and Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim and the Rambam of experiencing as if you yourself are living Mitzrayim is to recreate the experience and also have physical hands-on elements where it's not just intellectual, verbal, uh, you know, auditory, but you're also seeing things at the table and there's a hands-on element. A third answer, in addition to having the children ask in a hands-on element, is when it comes to the Ka'ara, everything is symbolically represents an idea. Everything at the Seder table represents something, helps you tap into spiritual truth. 
And that teaches you in life, in this physical world that we live in, where we don't see spirituality. You can't see my mind, my consciousness, my thoughts. You can't see that which is esoteric, that which is transcendent, that which is spiritual. But you learn to see the spiritual through the physical. That everything in the physical world is a reflection of something spiritual. Stakul Baraisa Baram al-Kajbar, who looked into the Torah, used the Torah to create the physical world. The physical world is an, exp- it's an expression of Torah truth, of spirituality. And you, le- you learn to... to access spirituality through the physical. And you look at the Torah and you say, what does this represent? What does this teach me? How does this physical thing connect me to some spiritual idea? And you learn to do that. And beyond just the Torah, beyond the Torah teaching, the whole night is really centered around that. You know, we, we refer to Hashem at the Seder as Hamakom. Baruch Hamakom Baruch Hu. Why do we refer to Hashem as Makom? And if you think about it, there, there are specific times where we refer to Hashem as Makam. In Avel, Hamakam Yenachim. We, you know, Avraham, he saw the Makam from afar. Hashem is referred to as Makam in certain scenarios. Why? You know, Hashem is Yudke Vavke, Elohim, Agnus. But why? What's Makam? What's Makam? So the Midrash says that Hashem is the Makam Shalom and, the, and the, the world is Lomakama. The world is not Hashem's Makam. Hashem doesn't exist in this world. The world exists within Hashem. What does that mean? So a lot of the Bali Machshava, especially the, the Ramchal, the Arizal, they explain that before HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, it wasn't that there was nothing before Hashem created the world. There was everything. He don't But Hashem created a makam, a space within Himself, for us to exist. We're not going to get into the details of the whole shirat itself. But we exist within Hashem. That means that the physical world exists within a spiritual reality. You know, and so to speak, Hashem is the womb of reality. And we are growing within Hashem. And we're trying to tap into our source, the ultimate source of reality, but we're already within Hashem. And that's, the physical is not separate from the spiritual. It's an expression It's connected to the spiritual. And when do we refer to Hashem as makam? We refer to Hashem as makam when we feel potentially distant from Hashem, when we say maybe Hashem is separate from us. No, baruch makam baruch what are, what are, what's the same theme for all these examples? It's at times when we feel that the spiritual in Hashem is distant from us, is disconnected from us. We say, Hamakam. Hamakam Yenachem in Avel feels that his loved one is, is lost, it is deceased, has ceased to exist. And we say, no, no, your loved one is still in reality because just like you are in the Makam of reality, you're in the physical dimension, your loved one is still in reality in the spiritual dimension, but you're all within the Makam of reality. You're all within Akash Baruch Hu, and your loved one still exists. Avram is about, is, when, when does he, by the Akedah, that's when he says they sees the Makam from afar. He, he feels distant from Hashem, he's about to give up his child, but no, no, no don't forget. You know, when it's a whole topic, the Akedah Sitzchak, you can talk forever about Akedah Sitzchak, about giving up your reason for, for truth, and we're not going to get into the detail. But at times where you're challenged, at times when you feel distant, that's where you tap into Malcolm. The four, when do we say Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu in the Seder night? Where in the Haggadah? Right before the four sons. How many times do we say Malcolm in Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu? Four times. Keneged, the four sons. Why? Because very often... Who feels distant? Number one, what do the four sons represent? It represents the spectrum 
of types of people. There's a Chacham, there's a Rasha, Mishin, and there's a Tam, different types of people. But there's also stages of all of those within each of us. That's a you know beautiful part. Is that you know first of all stages of our lives. There were times where we were time, a time where we were mishing and dealishal, or times where we were semi rasha, times where we were chacham. But we also all have all of these within us in different aspects of our lives. Maybe in terms of Torah learning, we're this. In terms of midos, we're that. In terms of physical health, we're this. You know, different aspects of our of our own inner personality and self. But there are also people who are more fundamentally towards this or more fundamentally towards that side. And very often parents can feel that, you know, this child, oh, he's more or she, is more of a chacham. Uh, this one's uh, more of a shame This one's a chacham, more of a rush. And very often they feel like, you know, I'm, I, they're lost, I'm lost, they're lost in terms of the relationship with Hashem. So we remind them, no, no, no. Like, when you feel distant, you're really close to Hashem. You think they're distant, no, they're also really close to Hashem. And when the children also, you know, they feel distant from Hashem, either because of their own spirituality or their own spiritual level or because of how their parents view their spiritual level. But we remind everyone, Baruch Baruch that we're all still within the makam of reality. We're all still connected to Hashem. And it's reminding that no matter where you lie in the spectrum, you're always, in terms of your objective source, you know, built the and don't forget that. Don't forget your true makam. And, uh, you know, it's really powerful. It's it's powerful that, in, in a certain sense, in the one last day, which we're not going to really delve so deeply into, but Pesach night is where we really learned the concept of Makkum, because Pesach night was the birth of Klai Yisrael, who, who found themselves rooted within the ultimate Makkum. Part of the process, we're going to develop this a little later, but part of the process of the Pesach night experience back in Yitzhak Mitzrayim was connecting to HaKadosh Baruch and that was realizing our true makam. And that's why the whole night is a night of recognizing makam. Who's the true makam of reality? That we are all living within a spiritual reality and that the goal of life is to connect the physical back to the spiritual and recognize that you can learn and tap into the, the spiritual through the physical, not just by transcending the physical, but by using the physical as a medium to connect to the transcendent, which we're going to develop a little more, especially in relation to the Seder night. Another example of seeing the physical, seeing the spiritual through the physical and, and tapping into spiritual truth by looking around in the physical world is how we end off the Seder. One of the last songs, one of the last parts of the, of the Haggadah is Echad Mi Yodeya. So we go through all the different numbers and say, you know, who knows two, I know two, who knows three, all these are the Avos, four are the Yimahos, five. And the question is, oh, what is going on here? So, you know, a very, <laughs> it sounds like this is for five-year-olds. You know, it's like, who knows five? I know five, you know five. Who knows six? I know six. But if you think about it, by this time in the Seder night, all the kids are, are sleeping. I mean, <laughs> most kids are sleeping. Who's up? Who's, who's singing this song? It's the adults. It's the black belts. It's people who are really, you know, still going. And, and the can't be just like a simple sing-along where it's like, who knows five? I know five. Who knows six? I know six. So, so what's really going on here? So there's such profound depth behind Echad Miodeya. So, you know, especially why it's the, the end of the cedar. Well, why should it be any? Think more of the beginning, you know, start off with a cute song. But there's such unbelievable depth behind this. I've talked about this in the past briefly, but the, the journey through the cedar night 
is really, it's a journey of amuna. it's a journey of putting the pieces together, it's a journey of creating oneness within the physical world we live in. And remember, two-ness, you see things in the physical world. Oneness, the spiritual root of reality, is everything is interconnected, everything is spiritual, everything is one. The essential foundational principle of life is the oneness of reality and how tunis stems from oneness. When Akash Baruch reveals the spiritual world by Matan Torah, it starts with an Aleph, Anochi Hashem. Beratius, the creation of the physical world, starts with a base, tunis, Beratius. And so much of life is tracing tunis, tracing multiplicity, tracing the physical back to its spiritual root. And that is the goal of the Seder night, is, is we live in a physical world and we're connecting everything back to the ultimate makor within this makom, the ultimate source of reality, which is Hashem. And that's the journey from tunis to oneness. And it's echad miyadeya. That's everything always connects back to echad. Echad al And it's the journey of oneness. And we achieve this oneness at the end of the night because it's the destination of the We have it at the end of the because everything is tapping back into that oneness. And we can't go so deep. And we say, who knows one? Of course now you know one because that's the journey of the Seder. It's Yediyas Hashem. It's getting to, you know, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but so much of the same night is the Giloi of the Ikari Amuna. Baruch Hu revealed himself by Yediyas Mitzrayim. You know, Kriyasi Amsuk, Ma'an Torah, that was the, where Akash Baruch Hu revealed himself to the world. And why do we have 13? Why are there 13 numbers we delve into? Because 13 is the number of oneness. How so? So we've talked about this in the past, and Maharal talks about this. Let's start with, with 6, 7, and 8. So the Maharal says that 7 is a number of the natural. Why? Because 7 is teva. So 7 is, is the natural world. You have 7 days in the week. You have 7 lights in the spectrum of light. You have 7 notes in the musical scale. You have sheva minim. You have sheva mitzvahs b'nei noach. The natural world is built up of 7. It is l'malam and teva. So why is 7 the natural? Because really, we live in a three-dimensional world, which is really 6, right? Left, forward, backwards, up, and down. So you have a three-dimensional cube, you have six sides. But really, the seventh is the interconnector. Connect all the pieces of the world together. That's why Shabbos is the seventh that connects the pieces of the week together, which is why also Shabbos is really also the center of the week. That's why the week extends until Tuesday night. You can say Adala until then. What's the content of the seventh? It's, it's connecting the pieces into oneness. What's eight? That's Lamalam in Kabbalah. That's the spiritual, the transcendent, the ethereal, the, that which is not corporeal. So the soul, it's, it's like, you know, you have a radio, you put all the pieces together in the right way, you get a radio frequency that comes out of that. It's that which is l'mala minatava. The same thing applies when it comes to 12, 13, and 14. So 12 are the edges of a cube. 13 is interconnecting all of those, the, those the, you know, so not the edges, but when you have a cube, it's six sides, but there are 12 lines. There are 12 you know, if you take the, the, the lines on the ends of the cube, you have 12 of those, 12 lines. And the just like the seventh is that which interconnects. For example, you have a cube, you have six sides, but maybe they're all lying on the floor. And the seventh is that which connects the sides of the cube together into a cube. So the 13th is connects the 12 lines together into a cube. And the 14th is that which is Lamalam and Teva. But 13th is that interconnection. It's the oneness. It's bringing the pieces together. It's why we have the 12 Shvatim, and then the 13th, that's Yaakov Avinu, or it depends how you count the Shvatim, but it's Yaakov Avinu, which is the ultimate connector of all the Shvatim into a oneness, into a klal, into a tzibur, into a chabura. And that's why 13 is always the number of oneness. That's why the gematria of Echad is 
13. So we have Yudgimel Kremuno, Yudgimel Midos of, of Darshaning the Torah. We can go through a whole bunch of 13s, but it's Bar Mitzvah. It's where uh, uh, you become a Bar Das. What's Das? It's your ability to interconnect everything together. It's where you're able to abstract and to say, not only are there physical pieces, but I can connect them to something transcendent. Uh, we're not going to get into the, the deeper concept of Das, which is deeper, uh, you know, existential, spiritual knowledge. Um, Oh, you know, why? what about a girl? So why is a bat mitzvah? No, because a girl naturally has the ability to interconnect and to really tap into spiritual truth. And, uh, you know, men have a harder time, but in a certain sense, they get that koach when it comes to bar mitzvah. Whole topic, we're not going to delve into this right now. But what's the idea? So the idea is that when it comes to 13, everything is rooted in the in the essential number one, and all of the pieces are expressions of that oneness. So for the Yugimili Kirimun of the Rambam, which he mentions in many different places in all of his works, Yugimili Karimuna, especially in Perk Achilak and his Perish Mishnayas, so the, the 13, they all stem from the first one. All, if you were not, we can give a whole shir on the Yugimli Karimuna, but they all stem from that initial one, which is the truth of Akash Baruch Hu's existence, and all of reality, all the other truths of reality express from that essential number one Karimuna. When it comes to Echad Miyodeya, Echad Miyodeya, this is one, this is the root, this is the foundation. All these other numbers, everything else in the world, the physical world, expresses from this root oneness. And that's why Echad Miyodeya, it's, it's Echad, it's oneness, it's 13. It is the essential destination of where we're going to on the Seder night, which is unbelievable, unbelievable. And... You know, there's some very deep Torah as well. What says Echad Elokinu Shebashamayim Uvaretz? So, the simple the simple understanding of Hashem is that Hashem is one. Right? There's not two gods. You know, there's not. Uh, we don't believe in polytheism, but but there's one God. But the deeper understanding of Echad is not one God, but oneness. The Einod Milvado. That it's not that there's one God and that God exists somewhere, but no, no, no. God is the root of reality. We exist within Hashem. Hashem is the makom of reality. Hashem is oneness. And the physical world of multiplicity extends or expresses from that oneness. Where do numbers come from? Where is the whole echad miodeya? You know, the, the whole who knows two, who knows three? All of those numbers, all the pieces of reality, they extend and express. They, they are expressions from the oneness of Akash Baruch Hu. And a number is something that can be counted. You can point to it and say, you know, zeh, this, that, that's a number. Oneness you can't point to. So echad meyodea is that which is beyond number. Everything else that we talk about in the, you know, who knows two, who knows three, who knows four, that is, that, that's numeration. It's mispar. It's that which extends. Mispar is something that has boundaries. Sfar is boundary. You know, mispar is, is a number that has boundary. Safer is a book. It's, it's particular details. A, a sepur, a story. It's you tell over details. But Oneness, there are no details, it's just absolute oneness. And the source of our ability to count these 13, the source of our ability to look at the physical world and see things, extends from Echad Alakinu Shabashamayim Uvaretz. And why Shabashamayim Uvaretz? Because Shemayim is not, not the heaven. What is Shemayim? Shemayim is destination, it's spiritual, it's that which is absolute oneness. Aretz is it's not just land, it's the physical world. That's why if you look at Ratz, means to run, it's process, it's movement. Shemayim is shamim, it's there, it's destination, where everything is, where it's absolute oneness. And Echad al-Kinish B'Hashemayim, where Hashem is transcendent, but then also expresses from that transcendent oneness into the physical world of Tunis. And that's why, what's the ultimate message of the Seder night? What is this doing at the end of the Seder? The ultimate goal of the Seder is to 
build such spiritual eyes, such spiritual lens, that you see everything in the physical world as a reflection of the spiritual. You look at something and you say, ah, oh, two, that represents the, uh, three, that's the others, four, that's the most, five, chamishu, chamishu, you, you look at the physical world and you see spiritual truth. Everything you see, hear, listen, smell, eat, touch, everything connects you back to spiritual wisdom, to spiritual truth, to Torah truth. And that's the ultimate goal of the Seder. It's really, it's like, you know, when you look at tzitzis, you know, someone once asked their desk, you really look at the tzitzis, you see trellis, and you remind you of the ocean, then shemaim, and the kisei, I covered, really? And he said, you just, you have to learn to see with spiritual eyes. You get to a point where you see with spiritual eyes, you obviously make these connections. Everything represents something spiritual. Everything connects you to something deep and something foundational, something fundamental. But if you don't have those eyes yet, you struggle. You say, you know, what are you seeing? I don't see that. But you have to train yourself. You have to sensitize yourself to see the physical world with spiritual lens. You know, there's a beautiful story of Shlomo Zalman Arbach. He, the first time he saw a skyscraper, he he said, the first time he saw it, he said, oh, how amazing. You can have, you know, if kids were born on different floors, then they would have a person meal on different days. He's like thinking in terms of zmanim, in terms of how things work. And it's how his mind functions. He, he sees everything, thinks about everything, experiences everything through a Torah lens, through a spiritual lens. And, you know, we should be zochet to get to that point where we're, we're living in a physical world, but we're having a, we, are, we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. But we need to learn to transition to the point where we have a physical spiritual experience, where everything in life is connected to deeper spiritual ideas. I'll just share one really cool nakuda. There's one of the Echad Miyodeas, one of the you know of those numbers that doesn't seem to be spiritual. You know which one? Everything connects to something spiritual, something amidst to something spiritual, except for number nine, which is Yimei Leida, the 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 months of pregnancy. What what's that doing there? So it's a good kash. It's a good question. It's the only one that seems not to be connected to Torah, not to be connected to Jewish thought. But there are two beautiful suggestions. One is that what happens in Melida? During pregnancy, the Gemara needed that which we've talked about countless times, says that when you were in the womb, when you were in your pregnant mother's womb, you were learning Kola Torah Kula. And the Vilnagon explains that you were learning you know, the deepest wisdom of reality, you were learning your Torah, your purpose in life. And then right before you were born, the mal hit you and you forgot Kola, you forgot everything you learned. And the question is why? So the Vilnagon explains, it's because that wasn't real, that was a gift. And you're supposed to come into this world and earn it yourself. Because the first stage of every process is a revelation of what you should be. You know, Adam and Chava originally created one, then they're broken apart. Kashbach originally gave us transcendent luchos, those were broken. Uh, originally, we learned Kol Torakula, we forget it. Why? Because we have to rebuild that oneness. Marriage, you rebuild the oneness of, of Adam and Chava being literally one, you know, androgynous being, physically representing a spiritual oneness that was also there. The luchos, first luchos, uh, Beis HaLevi discusses many, Mepharshim talked about this, the first luchos were much more transcendent. It was a Torah that was l'ma'ala minateva. You didn't have to try hard to learn everything. You never forgot it. It was a different type of Torah also, a different level of Chachma. But we lost that, and now we have to re-earn it, build ourselves. In the womb, you learn Kol Torah Kula, that wasn't real as a gift. It shows you what you could accomplish, what the goal is the destination, but you lose it so you can rebuild and earn it yourself. You may lay that very spiritual, very deep, very Torah related, but there's another beautiful idea, especially for Pesach night, which is that the fact that pregnancy is nine months is how the entire Sipri season time occurred. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was born earlier. He was born after six months, not nine months. 
And that was why he was saved, because they didn't think Yochaved was going to give birth yet. And that's why she was able to hide him and then send him down the, down the, down the Nile River. It was to save Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's how Moshe was saved. So the fact that Leda is nine months, that's what saved Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu obviously was our, you know, helped bring Yitzhak Matrayim, was our leader. And, you know, Torah's Moshe, he received the Torah in Arsina, gave us the Torah. That, that's more of a drush. It's probably not the actual shop. I think, you know, both of those together, you can obviously share both of those at the secret table, both beautiful ideas. So, so, so far we have the importance of questions and we have the importance of seeing the spiritual through the physical. A third foundational principle of the Seder night is our ability and our responsibility to engage the physical and uplift it. Why? So we have four cups of wine. We have Dalad Kosos, Dalad Kosos of Yain. And the question is, we're going to get in a few minutes to why four? Why specifically four? A lot of fours. We have four Kosos, we have four sons, we have, you know, say Baruch HaMachim Baruch four times, lots of fours throughout the night. And, you know, Torah is generally a three. Three is usually a fundamental foundational number of Torah. thought, well, why is tonight a night of fours? You have to ask that. But let's start with a more basic question. Why wine? And the question isn't just for Seder night, because Seder night is really, a, it's a night of yayin. But really, we always have wine. We have wine in Kiddush every Friday night in Shabbos day. We have wine uh, on Yom Tov. We have wine by Bres Mila, wine by marriage. Torah and Jewish life is filled with wine. Bres Mila, kids eight days old, we're already giving him some wine to drink. But wine seems to be so negative, so dangerous. We're not going to even, we'll, we'll maybe briefly touch on Purim, where, you know, obviously, uh, you know, but, but the question is, why is wine so, so significant for Torah life? Especially Pesach, such a, you know, it's a night of Kedusha, we're drinking wine. It, you know, according to one opinion, the Eitz Adas was a grapevine. And Noah, as soon as he came out of the Teva, was already uh, getting drunk and, and, and doing things that were inappropriate when it came to getting drunk. And Lot and his daughters, that whole thing happened because of wine. And yes, we're not going to get into the results of all of these actions. It's a whole topic in itself. Each of these is a whole topic in itself. But wine seems to be very destructive. And obviously, we need to figure out what the Torah approach to wine is because we have it all the time. And if it creates so much damage, why are we using it? And why are we for Kosos? You know, how are we supposed to approach this with with uh, with tr- the tremendous depth? And I would say the sensitivity it requires to do it right. So let's start with trying to understand the the, the concept here. The Maharal discusses, and the Ramchal discusses this, many, many deep Bali Mahshav discuss this, how everything in the world is potential. There's nothing in the world that is evil. And we're not going to, we can give a whole shear on the nature of evil, what evil means, you know, it's a whole deep philosophical, mystical topic. Purpose of evil, why evil is here. But beyond just giving us free will, the purpose of evil, but... For now, we're going to ask, what does this mean, that everything's potential? And the idea is that everything in the world can be used for good or for bad. It can be used for good or for evil. The choice is up to us. It's like electricity. Electricity isn't good or bad. It can light up your appliance. It can electrocute you. And obviously, the more electricity, the more good it can do. The more You have you know, thousands and thousands of volts, 20,000 volts. You can light up a community, and you can get electrocuted and die. You have a couple hundred volts, 220 volts. You can light up your appliance, or you can get a little shock. So the more potential, the more you can use something for the good or for the bad. Money. 
Money isn't good or bad. It can be used to support Torah, to create institutions, to uh, support ideas, and to create so much good in the world. It can be used for destruction and chaos. Uh, you have charisma. You have, you have a great personality. You can use that to inspire and to get people to do great things. You can use it to corrupt people or, or uh, you know, persuade them to do things that are extremely <laughs> inappropriate and damaging. Everything can be used for the good or for the bad. And once you understand that, you understand how we're supposed to approach things in, in the world, there are things which are more potent and therefore can be used in, in, for greater good and for greater bad. So for example, when it came to money, when it came to electricity, it's quantitative. The more volts, the more good, the more damage. But there are also things that are more fundamentally potent. And in and of themselves, they can do more good or more bad. So one of the, perhaps the most paradigmatic example is wine. Wine, and just for the record, this is a tremendously topic which we can spend so much time on. We've talked about in the past how, for example, the gates are for Avodah Zara and for Navua, both came, they both are, are very uh, deep ruts. And that's why when the Anshayi Knesset Gdola, the Gemara talks about the Anshayi Knesset Gdola, excise, they, they cut off that desire for Vodazara, the gates of her came out of the Koshakadoshim. Koshakadoshim, the, the holiest place in the world, because that's the same root and drive for Navua, the ability to, to, to transcend, to connect to the spiritual in the correct way, as opposed to Vodazara, which is in the incorrect way. It's why they both stem from that drive that came out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And when they cut off the drive for Avodazar, we lost the ability to have Nevu because it was the same Koach, it was the same Yetzir, it was the same drive. Everything is potential. What's wine? Wine is perhaps the paradigmatic example of something that can be used for such good and such bad. And it requires tremendous control, tremendous sensitivity. You have to be responsible because if you do it inappropriately, you can get drunk in the most inappropriate way. You can do horrible things. But if you do it in the right way, you can expand your consciousness. You can have a spiritual experience. It's something which can be used to enable a truly powerful experience. And for many people, they've never really seen someone do it correctly or they've seen so much damage and corruption being done through drinking that they just say it's not worth it. Get rid of it. I don't want to have any, any any of that, you know, no drinking in our Purimsuda. But if done correctly, with the right sensitivity, in the right way, it can be transcendent. And the Vilna Gon talks about it, says that wine is the most spiritual physical entity. Because all physical entities decay over time. They rot, they, they, they fall apart, they disintegrate, they wear out. You have bodies, they age, they get older, they wither. Machines, they, you know, they, uh, uh, machines eventually break down. The only thing that gets better as it ages over time, not the only, but you know, one of the, the more uh, well-known examples of something that ages well, gets better over time, is wine. But everything spiritual gets better over time. Wisdom gets better over time. You know, insight, your spiritual, your judgment, your creativity, your understanding of how to balance things, whatever is not physical gets better over time. It evolves and develops and gets better. Wine is one of the only physical things that gets better over time. Rishon Zalman Arbach says that wine is one of the only things that the more you have, the more you want. For example, when it comes to most foods, the more you eat, the more stuffed you become. The more you drink, the less you want to drink. When it comes to wine, the more you have, the more you want. And the same thing for Torah, for spiritual wisdom. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you realize how much you don't know. And therefore, the more questions you have, back to questions, the more you want to learn and grow. That's why one of the beautiful ideas. There are there, there's one there's one bracha that everyone agrees is dear Isa, that's Birchaza Mazan, and there's one bracha that there's a machlokas and the Rishonim, whether it's dear Isa, that's Birchasa Torah. 
So the question is, so these are the only two brachos that are duraisa. When the Ansha Knesset Gdola excised the Yitzhara, they instituted brachos, they instituted fila. We have to now, you know, for example, before they excised the Yitzhara for Vodazar and Nevula, we naturally connected everything back to Kosh Baruch. We didn't need set fila. We didn't, we didn't need brachos. You, either, you see an apple, you see a spiritual you, the truth, you see something physical that's an expression of the spiritual, and you naturally source it back to Hashem. Bracha, it means the concept of trueness that comes from oneness. The Maral says that bracha, you look at bracha, it's beige, resh, and chaf, all layers of tunis. Beige is two, resh is 200, chaf is 20. It's, it's tunis that comes from oneness. And, and what's oneness? Akash Baruch So you look at those, that's why the Torah starts with the beige. And that's why the Midrash says that Bez Bracha is the word of Tunis. Bez is the letter of Tunis. That's why when you look at an apple, you only see an apple, but they used to say, of course this comes from Hashem. So Bracha was something that naturally came, but now we don't naturally connect everything back to Hashem. So the Anshu Zekinesagdol had to institute Brachos. And therefore we make Brachos. We have set tefillah of connecting back to Kaj Baruch But the only two Brachos that are potential deraisa are Brachas Amazon and Brachas Torah. But Birchas we say before the bracha, and Birchas Amazon we say after eating. So, ah, different types of brachas, Birchas Mitzvah, Birchas Shevach different answers, different approaches. One of the beautiful answers is that when it comes to Torah knowledge, it's not intuitive to make a bracha. Because before you learn it, intellectual Rigor is not something enjoyable. You don't want that. Only once you're learning, you see how enjoyable it is. Only once you're learning, you see how much I want more. But food, you naturally want that. So when it comes to, when it comes to the bracha, which is not intuitive, we have to say the bracha first. We have to you know, start off by saying the bracha. But when it comes to the bracha, when it comes to the bracha of food, you know, it's so natural that you want it, so you say the bracha afterwards. And there's a lot of depth here. We're not going to go into it right now. Um, you know, what, whether that's th- th- that's a good svar in terms of when brachas should come beforehand or afterhand. It's a whole topic, a whole sugin shas that we're not going to really go into. But it's just important to keep in the back of your mind uh, the beauty of this idea in terms of the, the koach uh, of wine in the sense that just like Torah, it, 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 the more you have, the more you want. When it comes to Torah, that's also true, not at the starting point. At the starting point, you know, kids don't want to learn Torah. The Rambam actually talks about you have to, you know, you have to bribe kids to learn Torah. But as you go through the process, then just like wine, you know, the more you have, the more you want. When it comes to Torah wisdom, the more you have, the more you want. Beautiful ideas. So, wine. Let's get back to our topic of wine. So, wine we have. We, we use wine to uplift everything in our physical world. So we have wine when it comes to marriage. We have wine when it comes to bris milah. You know, in the secular world, the, the physical organ of procreation, the, the, that air, it's, it's the most physical animalistic organ. But we say, no, we've got to uplift that organ. Bris milah back to six, seven, eight. We have bris milah on the eighth day so that we take the most physical organ and we uplift it. Lamala and teva to the transcendent. We say we're going to use the physical in the most uplifting way. And... Uh, for, for the Arab Kosos of Seder, the whole night is a transition from slavery to freedom. Where we are, we're, we are, we're going to develop this hopefully soon, but we go, we, we show how even our, you know, the most physical things can be uplifted to a transcendent level, which is true freedom, true chiris, is living a truly spiritual life within the physical world. And that's something really important to keep back in your mind. We don't try to transcend the physical world, we use the physical world. And that's why Kiddush on Shabbos, we, you know, we're going from Chol to Kedusha, we uplift the physical week, transcend from Chol to Kedusha 
through Yayin, through Yayin, through Kiddush. Now, the big question that I want to ask, especially for this year, because Pesach starts Matzah Shabbos, is why do we have Kiddush by Havdalah? Havdalah, we're going from Kodesh back into Chol. Seems that it's a Yerida. <laughs> you don't have wine when you do Yerida. You have wine when you have Naliyah. You're going up with Lamala and, and Kedusha. So there's two beautiful ideas. One is specific for this Matzah Shabbos, which I'll develop in a minute. But the for every Matzah Shabbos, it is a Yerida Litzar Chaliyah. It's a beautiful idea in Torah thought that even when you have a Yerida, which is for the sake of Naliyah, that's also a Kedusha. So yes, we're going from Shabbos back to the week, but what's, what's the, what happens? The week we build. On Shabbos, we experience everything we built during the week. You stop creative activity, you experience who you are. It's a, it's a taste of Olam Haba. Right? It's a, it, the Gemara Brachos says it's made Olam Haba. It's a little taste of Olam Haba. But what do we do? We come back into the week inspired from Shabbos to build even more during the week. So the next Shabbos, we come back and we're even higher. Meaning, every single week we go... Up for Shabbos, we go down, and we go even higher. So the next Shabbos, when we go up for Shabbos, we're on an even higher level than the next Shabbos. So it's a Yerita Litzur Chaliyah. We go even higher every single week. All of life is about growing. Shabbos is a little, you stop in the process of growth, and 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 then you get inspired to come back out into the week, Olam Hazet, and build even more. And that's why Moed comes from the Lashon of, of uh, which the root of Moed means to go towards a destination. Shabbos is a taste of destination. Chol is where we build, and Moadim are little pit stops along the journey of life where we tap into where we're supposed to be going. I Meaning Shabbos is, you know, the, the, the way that the Gemara talks about, the way that the Farshim talk about, is that the ultimate destination is Azman, which is Kulo Shabbos. And every Shabbos we have a little taste of that. And then Chol is about building towards that, and Moadim... Chagim are where we tap into the themes that align us and, and bring us towards our destination. Zman Simchasinu, Zman Cheresinu, Zman Antorasinu. All of the Chagim, all the Moadim are Zmanim that lead us towards our destination. But Shabbos is a weekly reminder of what the ultimate destination truly is. And so, so every single week we have a Yeridu Lusara This much is Shabbos, we have a unique opportunity. Because it's not only a Yerida Lutzarech Liyah, it's a literal Aliyah. Because we go from Kodesh, Shabbos, to Chol, right, that's a Yerida, but then we go straight to Kodesh. We go straight into the Yom Tov, into the Moed of Pesach, which is beautiful. Because it's not only a Yerida Lutzarech Liyah, it's a literal Aliyah, Yerida, and then Aliyah. So we literally are going Mekodesh uh, Lakodesh, which is a beautiful topic in itself, the difference between Shabbos and, and, and Yom Tov. You know, uh, something that we create with the zmanim of the of of the of Beisden versus something that Hashem creates, which is Shabbos. Even though we do have you know a part in bringing Shabbos as well, so it's a whole beautiful topic for for another time. But the, so when it comes to Havdalah, there still is the element of kedusha of of aliyah, and therefore we do have wine there as well. I want to develop one more really powerful nakuda when it comes to wine, which is the idea of what wine does. So very often we talk about what wine could do, the, the potential spiritual uh, ability of what wine can do to us, but what is it truly doing? So the deeper idea here is that wine, it, it enables one to expand their consciousness, to expand their sense of self, and to have a transcendent experience from engaging in the physical world. That's also why Purim, which is you know the, the concept of Nichnas Yanyetza, so that really where people sometimes inappropriately, but ideally is to do it appropriately, have the most spiritual experience through wine. We talk about Yom Kippurim, 
the 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 Chazal and Balim Achshavah discuss how Yom Kippur is transcending the physical world. We desist from using the physical world. But the ideal is really Purim. So Yom Kippurim is like the spirituality, spiritual significance of Purim, which is where we're able to have a transcendent experience by engaging in the physical world. So the root of the year is Yom Kippur, where we start completely transcendent. As Malachim, we wear all white, we say, out loud, something only angels can do. We, do. we completely disconnect from the physical world. Purim is where we completely connect to the physical world in a spiritual way, which is the highest ideal of true oneness, of truly being spiritual beings in a physical world, still having a spiritual experience. But what's the idea? The idea is that if you do it correct, then it allows your mind to, to connect to the transcendent consciousness, to that which is beyond the boundaries. So for example, your intellect is bounded. Intellect, you can't deal with contradictions in logic and philosophy. But that which is lamala, that which transcends intellect, that which transcends the physical, the, the rules of the physical world, has no boundaries. So for example, when you dream, prophecy is beyond intellect. When you dream, the Gemara Sim Bracha that says that Shabbos is made on Habba says that dreams are a taste of, of nevuah, of prophecy. Yain t- is the same kind of tapping into this concept of, of, of oneness, which is also why nichnas yain yatsa sod. So what, what's yain, what's sod? So they're both the Gematria of 70. 70 is that same concept of seven, of oneness, which, by the way, we're not going to get into right now, but David represents that concept of 70. That's why he lived 70 years old, married Bathsheba, daughter of seven, this concept of seven. Remember we talked about how Echad is oneness, is interconnecting the pieces together, how seven represents that concept of interconnecting the pieces together. That's why Yayin is when you're able to connect in the right way all the pieces together, you can go Lamalam and Hetava, you can transcend the, the physical bounded intellectual world and experience something beyond the intellectual, beyond the physical. So the idea is that if you use it incorrectly, you become so corrupt, you become more physical. But if you can do it correctly, you can go and transcend, in a certain sense, the physical while using the physical and have this you know, spiritual experience where you're able to tap into so much truth. And it's, it's a true experience of simcha. You know, Misha Nichnas Adar Marbin Besimcha, that's the true sense of simcha, because what is simcha? True simcha, true happiness, is the expansion of self. So one aspect of expanding your sense of self is when you're actualizing your potential, you're becoming more of you. You're on that trajectory, you're becoming the ultimate version of yourself. That's true simcha. Another aspect of simcha is expanding your sense of self outwards. So becoming part of a family, you know, having getting married, having children, becoming part of a cloud at Seabor, feeling part of a community, feeling that you're part of a so that your individual greatness is part of a collective greatness. And connecting to Kaj Baruch Hu, your ultimate self, the great Ani, the ultimate Anochi, Anochi Hashem Lekecha, that, that is the greatest sense of happiness. Wine allows you to expand your sense of self, expand your boundaries of your consciousness, to go into a higher dimension of self. And that's why there's the whole idea of, of drinking wine at, at Zmani Simcha, times of, of happiness and, and times of Kedusha, is tapping into that spiritual identity, that spiritual experience, Dafka through the use of wine. And, and I'll give you just a beautiful, beautiful idea. The Gemara says something very interesting. It says for a mourner, for an Avel, that wine was created to comfort mourners. To comfort mourners. The Gemara says this. It seems very interesting. What does it mean wine was created to comfort mourners? So the simple understanding is to escape. You know, a mourner has just lost a loved one. 
Just kind of get out of here. Just kind of, it's like, you know, when you're embarrassed, you just want to dig a hole and escape. So sometimes when you're in so much pain, existential pain, spiritual pain, uh, you, you lose part of your identity. You just want to disappear. You want to cease to exist. So that's the simple answer is that, you know, spirits, you drink some alcohol, get, get a little buzz, get a little relief, escape the problem. But the deeper approach is that a mourner who lost a loved one, lost a piece of himself, a piece of his world. His, his world is shrunken. He lives in a limited world now. His world is, you know, confined and it's coming, you know, everything's shrinking and shrinking. So what do we say? Wine was created to, to comfort the mourner, not that it just helps him escape, but it's to expand his world again. To expand his consciousness, to go back, remember, Makam, you, you thought you lost your loved one, you thought that they, they're gone. No, expanding your sense of soul, expanding your identity, expanding your worldview to realize that no, we're all within this grand Makam. We're all within the Makam of the Olam. And that's why it's very interesting. Um, there's this notion that when you visit Avil, you can't speak. And the answer is you have to wait to draw him out because you want to get him to expand outwards. Because he's shrunken, he's confined, he's constricted and restricted in his own sense of self and identity. We want to allow him to expand outwards. Get him talking. It's the same idea of, of wine expands the world of the mourner, which is with the idea we just developed of this idea of Malcolm, which is one, we want to expand his consciousness to another dimension. It's a reminder that the Neshama isn't gone. It's a reminder that it's, it's just merely located in a spiritual dimension, which you also exist in. You're also rooted in the Makam of the world. So now let's go to the next Nakuda. We developed the importance and the profound idea of wine, but why four cups? Why Dalit Kosos? <laughs> it's not just Dalit Kosos. We have all these different fours of the night. We have four cups of wine, four, four questions, four, you know, Bara, Baruch HaMakam, Baruch Hu, Baruch Torah, Baruch Hu, we have the four sons. There's so many different fours. What's the idea here? So, so there are some well-known answers and there are some deeper answers. The more well-known answers are four Lashonos of the Gula, four languages, four, four forms of Gula that are mentioned in the Torah. There's another answer as well, which the Gemara Yushami brings down. It says, in addition to the four Lashonos of Gula, it's actually four times that the Sar Hamashke said Kosparo. <laughs> What's that to do with anything? So you can, you can mention this at, at your Seder. That when it came to the the sar the, the, the baker the, the he he was all sar ofim was just it was all about me no mention of paro who's his master the sar hamashke sar kept on saying i want to serve my master i want to serve paro everything was about getting back to a place where he can fulfill his purpose his mission and yes we're not we're not trying to serve power with the. We're going to get this in a few minutes, but <laughs> we're Dafka trying to get away from our avdus to paro to being an Evan Hashem. But that idea of commitment to our master, commitment to our to our Adam, to you know someone who we look up to, that's a profound theme of the night, especially within the context of wine, which is using something. What's the purpose of wine? Connecting from the physical back to our spiritual, back to the root, to use it for nevodus Hashem. You know, the Sar Hamashkin, which obviously um, is connected to wine, but the, the idea of really focusing on, on connecting, using this kos, using the Dalit Kosas to connect to our Adon, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that, that's profoundly connected to the Sar Hamashkin. So, you know, 
there's one other Nakuda, which we'll get to why for in a second. But one other Nakuda that I want to mention is that the story of Yosef is the root of our slavery. Because what happened? The brothers sold Yosef into slavery. Then we ended up going down to Mitzrayim because of that. And that was, you know, that this idea of Yosef becoming viceroy and you know, Yaakov was going down to Mitzrayim, that was after this event with the Sarah from Sarah Mashkin. So it's very connected to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So, so far we have the four Lashons of Geulah, we have the four times that the Sarah Mashkim said, Kos Paro. But there's another really deep idea, which is mentioned in some of the deeper sources, which is the four letters of Yudke Vavke. So if you recall, if you didn't listen to our previous year, we just gave a whole shear on the four different types of miracles and how one of the Hakarish Baruch Hu tells Moshe that for the Avos, I only revealed Kel Shakai, which you know really fundamentally means Alukim. I only revealed Alukim. But now in, in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, to you and to Klai and to the world, I'm going to reveal Yudke Vavke. So we said, what does that mean? Yudke Vavke represents Hashem himself. Represents not, not Hashem himself himself. That would be more, I'm not going to talk about it now, but ain't self. But Yudke Vavke is what we would call the transcendent element of Hashem. And Elohim is how Hashem manifests within the physical world. So, you know, the Shulchan Aruch and, and the sources talk about Elohim as Baal Kuchos Kulam. The, how Hashem manifest control and hashkacha over the world. Yitkevavke is the root, that which is lamala, that which is transcendent, and Elohim would be that which is imminent. So the miracles of Elohim, the miracles that were revealed to the Avos, were miracles that over overrode the rules of nature. But the Yudkevavke miracles were paradoxical miracles. Dam was both dam and water. By curious Yamsov, they were on dry land and they were in the water. Oh, it can't have blood and water. It must have changed from blood to water. Oh, it can't be on dry land and in the water. It must have been that they were on... It used to be water, but now it's dry land. So no, it was both. It was a paradox. And Pesach is the revelation of the ultimate root of reality, the ultimate makam of reality, which is Yudkevavke. The entire night is built within these four. And we're not going to go into what each letter represents and how each thing represents another stage. Yud, K, Vav, K. But the idea is very profound, which is that the entire night is built on four. We have the four cups of wine, four Lashon Sokolula, the four questions, four Baruchs, four sons. Because HaKadosh Baruch is revealing this four-stage revelation of Yudkei Vavkei into the world is what Pesach represents. And the Ramchal, actually, he discusses other deep themes here as well, which is really beyond the scope of our discussion. But there's tremendous depth in number four. That's really what you want. So if you want to mention that the Seder, you can mention four Lashon's Geula. You can mention the four times the Saramashkim says Kosparu. And if you, you have people who want to go a little deeper, you can go into the four layers of, of Yudke Vavke and how Pesach is a revelation of Yudke Vavke into the world. How Akash Baruch revealed that he's not just the Balkuchos Kulam of nature, but he's Lamala Minatava. He's that which is also transcends nature as well. The fourth theme of the night. The fourth theme of the night is Akar Satov, which taps into the same exact idea that we've been developing. Because what is Akar Satov? Akar Satov is gratitude. But what is Akar Satov really? So first of all, all we have so many examples of Akar Satov throughout the night. Two, I'll just give you a very easy example. So we have Halal, Halal Hoda, is at the center of the Haggadah. And we have Dayinu, all the Dayinus. We're just thanking Hashem for everything. And the question is, why? what's this theme of Akar Satov really mean? And why, by Dainu, do we say, obviously there's so many famous questions by Dainu, but the most fundamental question is, why are we thanking Hashem for everything? You know, it's enough to thank Him for two, three things. We go into like every single prat, every detail. Why? The answer is that every single detail is important. 
Because the whole goal of life is to trace yourself from where you are back to your ultimate roots, back to your ultimate source. And that's what Akar Satova is. Gratitude is recognizing where things come from. You're not your own creator. You come from your parents. Where do they come from? You source yourself back to Akar Baruch That's why Kibbut of Aim is on the right side of the Luchos, even though all the other mitzvahs on the right side of the Luchos are bin Anam because of the root, the, the starting point of getting back to Akar Baruch is recognizing you're not your own creator. Where do you come from? You came from your parents. Who they come from? Oh, who they come from? You get back to. Avram, get back to Noah, get back to Adam, you say, oh, you trace yourself back to Kaj Baruch Hu. That's why, really, the rights of Luchos has been Adam Lamakor. It's tracing yourself back to Hashem. You have Anochi Hashem, you don't do Avodazari, you have Shabbos, but really, all those on the right, the whole goal is tracing yourself back to Kaj Baruch Hu. And that's what tonight is also. The Seder night, we tap into Akar Satov. And Akar Satov means you take all the different details in life. And you start to put all the pratim together back to the ultimate source. So Baal Chachma takes all the pratim, all the details, and sources them back to Klalim. Ramcha always talks about this, how a Baal Chacham doesn't, he's not focused on details. You don't, you don't want to understand the shitos of the Rishonim. You understand what are the fundamental foundational principles of the Sugya. When you understand the Klalim of the Sugya, then you can get into how every single shita applies this detail and that detail, that application, this application. But if you're a real Baal Chacham, if you want Chachma, you want to go back to foundational fundamental principles, Klalim, and understand the different ways that the Klalim can be expressed, the different nuances that come out of the Klalim. It's like a hundred pennies versus a dollar bill. Don't collect pennies. Go for the, the Klal, which contains all the Pratim. It's a very, very important idea. But so much of tonight is about Hakar Satov. The Seder night is about just thinking of Kaddish Baruch Hu for everything. And this gets to, you know, the, the main theme that I want to talk about tonight, because we're, we're about halfway through now, probably a little more than halfway through. Uh, we're about to now enter into a, a whole theme, which is the Seder night really gets to the gilui of Kaddish Baruch Hu, and what we talked about, Yudke but in a deeper sense, Hashem revealed Himself to the world. He chose us as our nation. We are Am Hanivchar. This is the, the origin of our story. The Avos are the roots. Simon Avos Labanim. Maisa Avos Simon Labanim. But at the same time, the real, the, the origin of the Jewish story, where we, where we became Klai Israel, our conversion, so to speak, where we became who we are, that was Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And the whole story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was Hashem being Megala himself to the world. And this is the Iker Mitzvah of the Seder night, is the Mitzvah of Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim, telling over the story of Yitzias Mitzrayim. So here's the question. I'll just, you know, Pesach. The, the Rizal says Pesach means the speaking mouth. That's the Iker essence of Pesach, is telling over the story to generations, passing over the Masorah, telling over who we are, where we came from, where we're going, what's our purpose in life, what's our origin story, and what's our purpose. But here's the question. Let's start with something more practical. More practical is Sipor Yitzias Mitzrayim. How is this different from Zechir Yitzias Mitzrayim? Every single day we say in Shema the mitzvah Zechir Yitzias Mitzrayim. All of, all of Jewish life is centered around Yitzias Mitzrayim. So how is the Pesach Seder different? What's the difference between the mitzvah Zechir Yitzias Mitzrayim, remembering Yitzias Mitzrayim, and Sipor Yitzias Mitzrayim, telling over the story? So. There are some famous, famous, famous approaches. We'll go through some of the, just so you can have some basic ideas, we'll go through, through some of the more famous ones. So the Minchas Chinuch, he says that the major difference is individual versus telling it over to others. Every single day throughout the year, it's an individual mitzvah, but Sipur Yitzim time is to tell it over to others. Tell over to others. Chaimi Brisk says that throughout the year, it's a statement. We just, you know, we discuss CTS Mitzrayim, but on the Seder night, we do it through questions and answer questions. Remember, 
questions do what? They spark interest, curiosity, openings. It allows you to actually expand and grow and learn. The whole year we remind ourselves. It's just we say it, you know, we say it as a, as a statement. But on, on a secret night, it's a teaching experience and it's a learning experience. So we do it through questions. We create curiosity. We create openings in our understanding. We create openings in our own understanding. That's why the 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 postman would say that even if you're by yourself on the secret night, you still have to do secret time because it's not just sharing with someone else. It's for yourself. You want to expand your own learning, your own understanding. Some of the other shitos are... That throughout the year we do the general de- the general idea of Yitzchak Mitzrayim, but on the same night we go, you know, beyond into the details, into the nitty gritty. We really go into the the story. And Rav Chaim Yabrisk also gives another beautiful answer. He says that you know the hands-on experience we do it over the mitzvahs of the night, over matzah, maru, and Pesach. We do it. It's a, it's a hands-on experience which really gets into the, the realm. says you have to imagine that you yourself are leaving Mitzrayim. It's not just remembering it or talking about it. It's experiencing it in the sense of doing it hands-on. And Rosalovechik says, you know, kind of in the same, in a similar vein, that throughout the year we do it in a statement, but tonight we do it We do it in a way that evokes a response of Shavach and Hodah, because that's the goal of the night. We want to really tap into Hakar Satov, into being so grateful for, for being the Am for this being our story, for us tapping into our, our purpose in life, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But there's another beautiful answer by the Maharal in Givur Hashem, where he says that throughout the year, Yitzhiya Sintraim, we talk about the outcome. But on the Seder night, we're about the real goal is to genuinely experience it as if you're going out, which is very much what we talked about. But it, it's not—it's not the same thing as our constant. We need to constantly understand time. But the, when the Rambam says that you need to experience as if you're going out, it's tapping into the unique nature of zman, which is that zman is circle. So it's circular, but it's really spiral. It's spiraling. So we've talked about this in the past where time doesn't go straight. Really, every year we circle back to unique themes in Zman. So we tap into Zman Chirusenu, and Sukkah Zman Simchasenu, and Shavuos Zman Antorasenu. We're not remembering, we're re-experiencing, we're re-tapping into it, but we're taking it one notch further. It's not a circle, it's a spiral. Where every we go one step. So we're tapping into Zman Chirusenu, we're re-experiencing its prime, and we're taking that one step further, which we'll get into is a very important idea of, of making a genuine, real, creative, adding newness, not just like, oh, we did this last year, but bringing something genuine and real to the Seder night. And the, what, what the, I want to take this one step further, because this, this, this is so unbelievable. What is the Iker essence of, of the mitzvah of CPT with trying? What's the Iker essence? You ever think about that? What are we really trying to accomplish? So the Rambam, if you look at how he formulates the mitzvah of Sipri Simsayim, he says the Iker mitzvah is not to tell over the story. The Iker mitzvah, to, to small children you tell over the story. The Iker mitzvah is telling over the Nisim. It's telling over the miracles that HaKadosh Baruch Hu performed. Why? So the Ramban explains so beautifully. He says, uh, talking about mostly, mostly this can be found in Parsha's bow in his parish on the Torah. Now, what was Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Is where Akash Baruch revealed the Ikari Amuna to the world. Because what can people say? Hashem doesn't exist. Or Hashem exists, he doesn't know what's going on in the world. Or Hashem knows what's going on in the world, but he's not all-powerful. 
what did Yitzhak Shem reveal? Hashem exists. He knows what's going on in the world, and he's all-powerful. And he can uproot the rules of nature. But the Ramban says something even more fundamental. Not only does Hashem exist, not only does is there hashkacha, that there's Yidiyah in Hashkacha. Not only is there ultimate Hashkacha, where Hashem knows everything, and Hashem can, He created the rules of nature, He can overturn the rules of nature, but the Ramban says that the Nisim Nigloyim, were Megale, the Nisim Nistarim. What does that mean? It means that Hashem revealed that there is no such thing called nature. That everything in reality is the Ratzon Hashem, and that nature itself is a miracle. What's the only difference between a miracle and nature? Nature is a miracle Hashem does every single instant. There's no reason the sun should rise tomorrow morning. Hashem chooses to make it rise. Why is there a natural world where nothing changes? Because we live in a world where there's no longer open miracles. We have to learn to see the physical world, the natural world, as miraculous. Where the natural is miraculous. Pesach, Shavuos, that's where there was open miracles, prophecy, and then the world changed. The world went dark. There's no longer open miracles, no longer prophecy. We can no longer see Hashem. Now we have to choose to see Hashem. Now we have to choose to see miracles. What was the, the transition point in Hanukkah and Purim? Hanukkah was the last open miracle, the smallest open miracle in history. It happened in a very small place where only a few people saw it. Purim was the, the beginning of hidden miracles. It was the largest hidden miracle in human history where every single small little nook and every single detail added up into creating this magical Purim story, but no rule of nature was overturned. And now we live in a natural world where we have to learn to see the natural as the miraculous. But Pesach revealed the Nisim Niglaim, which then revealed the Nisim Nistarim, that everything that happens in the world, the Nefesh HaChaim says that Kodesh Baruch recreates the world every instant. Right? <laughs> the, the idea is that Kaj Baruch is constantly creating the world, that there is no such thing as the natural. And this is, as some mentioned, another approach to the difference between Zeichel Etzias Shrayim and Sipur Etzias Shrayim. What's the difference? The difference is that Seder night, we're tapping into Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, was when Hashem revealed open miracles, that the Akash Baruch Hu showed that there is no such thing as the natural. That he overturned the natural world, so that everything is miraculous. But what is, the, what is Zeich Yitzhiyas What do we do during the year? During the year, there are no longer open miracles. So during the year, we take the open miracles from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, from Sipri Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, from the Seder night, from Pesach, and we use it to so to speak, shine a light on the natural world to show that we are living in a miraculous world. So it's the Ramban that says that through the open miracles we come to see the hidden miracles. It's because of Pesach night, it's because of Sipur Yitzhiyam that we can have a Zeichel Yitzhiyam throughout the year of recognizing the miraculous within the natural. So it's only because of Pesach that we can really tap into Purim. And then it's because of Purim that we can really tap into the beauty of Pesach. It's why Purim and Pesach are always back-to-back. It's why we have a double udder. We always have Purim as close to Pesach as possible because we want to create that distinction between the open miracles and the hidden miracles and learning to see the fact that there's really no difference. And we can only really see that, that, that teach us this powerful principle when we understand the Ramban, but also when we keep Pesach and Purim so close together to create that distinction between the open miracles and the hidden miracles. So let's move on to another beautiful Nakuda. 
so, so we're really getting in, into such unbelievably incredible themes and it's it's really just so enjoyable to talk about these ideas but I want to now develop a deeper approach to Chiris so if you approach if you actually break down the Haggadah you'll see that the Haggadah itself has different parts and there's really two forms of slavery and there's two forms of freedom because if you look at the Haggadah we have the first form of slavery which is Avadim Hayinu B'Mitzrayim we were slaves in Mitzrayim. And then we had Mitchila Ovdevodazara. Two very different types of, sla- types of slavery. One type of slavery is physical slavery. Physically, we were slaves to borrow. But there's another form of slavery, which is spiritual slavery, existential slavery, identity slavery, outlook slavery. And not only were we freed. You know, it says it says if we weren't freed from, uh, if you look at Avdamiya, it says if we weren't uh, freed, we'd still be slaves to power of Mitzrayim. No. We wouldn't still be like we might not physically be in Mitzrayim, but we would be spiritually, existentially, and in terms of our identity and outlook in the world, we'd still be existential slaves. Because there's two types of slavery: there's physical slavery and there's spiritual slavery, and. The gun actually is broken up in those two halves, in those two types of slavery, two types of freedom. So the question is. These two types of freedom, right? We left Mitzrayim. We also left Avodah Zarah. We had Ma'an Torah. We committed ourselves to Akash Baruch Hu. Everything changed. We became Amman Nifchar. We became, uh, you know, the a nation that is was Mikabal, the Torah, Mikabal, our mission in life. What really changed? What really changed? Because if you think about it, one of the most famous questions of the Seder night is that we really went from being slaves to Paro to being slaves to Hashem. We were Avadim Hayinu. <laughs> We were slaves to power in Mitzrayim, and we went to being Ovdei Hashem. But we're still, oh, we're still Avadim, we're still slaves. What's the difference? So the answer is that we transition from being slaves to power to being slaves to the truth. Only a slave to the truth is free. What does that mean? There are three aspects to true freedom. The first is Avodus Hashem. It's committing our life to our ultimate source, to devoting our lives to Hashem, to our root, to our makom, to uh, the source of reality. The second aspect of being an Eved Hashem, the second aspect of Avdus, of really being a slave to the truth, is committing ourselves to living our true purpose. When we are slaves to power, we are slaves to, to sheker, to a confined reality. Meitzar Yam, they constricted the 50th, which we're not going to go into now, but just for those of you who understand what I'm talking about, we talked about 6, 7, and 8, we talked about 12, 13, and 14, but the same idea as Spheris Omer, seven weeks of seven, we build seven weeks of seven, the, the building within the physical world, the ultimate expression of sevenness is seven times seven, seven within seven, which is 49, so Spheris Omer is seven weeks of seven, and the ultimate stage is the 50th, which is Ma'an Torah, which is that which is Lama'al Maitavis, the eighth. The Torah was given on the eighth, the eighth week, the first day of the eighth week, that was Ma'an Torah. Meitzar Yam is that which constricts the Yamas Gematria 50, that which constricts the 50th, the Yam Shal Torah. And we had to break out from that Avdus to experience building step by step to get to Ma'an Torah, to get the experience of the 50th. So that was our true purpose, is to get there. But the third stage of freedom is not only committing ourselves to Hashem, committing ourselves to fulfilling our purpose, but freedom over our conflicting desires, over our lower self, over our Yitzhahara, over that, that drive to do that which is other than the truth. And that's why 
if you think about it, so much of Pesach is about matzah. But what, what, if you think about it, it's a question a lot of the, the Rishonim and Farshim ask. We always think, if you ask people, why we eat matzah? Oh, because we were in a rush. zone, we left Egypt. And therefore, because we left Mitzrayim in such a rush, we didn't have time to, to let the dough rise. Not true. If you look at the Torah, we ate matzah the night before we left. There was no rush. What's going on here? So there's really two types of matzah. There's one type of matzah, which is you're in slavery. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matzah of, of lack. Of We had to eat matzah because we were slaves. If you think about it, matzah is cheap. It's simple. It's a bread, a food's lechem oni. It's a poor quality. It's a food for poor people. If you think about the word matzah, the Alshech actually mentions that he uses matzah in this sense. Matzah means it's to break, it's a breakdown, it's the conflict, it's strife. He uses the Lashon of Mishle in Perekigim, he says, matzah mariva. It's this Lashon of strife, of breakdown, of conflict. But there's another type of matzah, not to eat matzah because we have to, but to eat matzah because we choose to. It's a matzah of choice, it's a bread of freedom. Why? Because... The ability, for example, you know, the Mishnah says that you can only really be, you know, acquire wisdom if you sleep on the floor, if you have bread and salt. What's the idea? The idea is if you don't need lechem, then you can have lechem. So it's once you transcend the physical, then you can come back down and use the physical. A truly free person doesn't engage in the physical world because he has no other choice, but he, he has the ability not to engage in it. He has the ability to be ascetic to eat just matzah, to have Yom Kippur, to be angelic, but then comes down and uses the physical world. Our goal is not to desist and disconnect and transcend the physical world. It's to use the physical, but to have that transcendent imminence, to use the physical in a spiritual way, to be able to use wine appropriately, you have to also be able to not engage in the physical. And that's Yom Kippur. That's, the, that's Pesach. That's a root of transcendence. It's also very interesting. We have the Afikomen, that we wait till the very end of the meal to have dessert. What, what's the idea here? If you think about it, it's such a long magid, such a long time pushing off eating food, especially having the afikomen. What's the idea here? The idea is pushing off instant gratification, having the ability to not be a slave to our desires. Because when you're not a slave to your desire, when you aren't controlled by your physical desires, then you can use them. It's only when you're not a slave to the physical that you can use the physical. It's only when you're not a slave to your lower drive that you can lose, you can use your physical drives. And that's so much of what Pesach is. It's about being beyond bread, being beyond lechem, beyond that which expands, that which is physical. Right? Matzah is the minimum of time, right? 18 minutes, also minimum of space. It doesn't rise. But once you are, so to speak, transcending the physical dimensions of reality, you can come back there and use the physical dimensions of reality, which is why, what do we have on Shavuos? We have the Shteilachim. We, we come back down. We're able to engage in the physical the world of bread, which we desist from on Pesach. So desisting, you know, the, the, the Mepharshim talk about how matzah represents disconnecting from the Yitzhahara, but the real goal of life is not the, to escape the Yitzhahara, but to recognize that really, like we talked about, everything is potential. And the physical world, the drives that we think of as being bad, it's not bad, it's just it can be used for the bad. But once you have control, then you can engage in the physical in an uplifting way. Then you can be makadish, then you can use wine in an appropriate way. And that's really so, so deeply thematic for the Seder night and for Pesach. And this connects us. So, this is so amazing. So, so now let's take, really, we're getting towards the end here. 
But let's take one last step. Another essential aspect of this year night is tapping into the theme of the Jewish story. I mean, just think about it. You, the fact that you're Jewish, the fact that Hashem chose us as his nation, this was, Yitzhak was the birth of our unique relationship with Hashem. It was the birth of Klaish, of the Jewish people. And one way the Chazal discuss it, Chazal talk about how it was the transition from matzos to mitzvos. If you had a vav to, to matzo, you get mitzvah. And a vav to matzo, you get mitzvos. Vav is a connecting letter. You, say, you put a vav in front of a word, or in a word, it means and. It connects. You put a vav in matzo, you get mitzvah. What happened on Pesach? We, we transitioned to a stage of tzavta which the Maharal discusses means, what does Tzavta mean? It means connection. What are mitzvahs? Mitzvahs aren't obeying the will of a commander like you're in an army. No, mitzvahs are also, in addition to we obey, because we, we, we listen to the truth, you know, Nasa, Nishma, we, we committed to the truth, but Tzavta, mitzvahs are also the, our ability to connect with Hashem. The Torah life, a Jewish life, is not just obeying the rest of Hashem, but it's connecting into a oneness with the Baruch Hu, and, and that's, Something so essential to understand that we went from being slaves to power, which is purely just obeying the will of a master, to being over Hashem, to connecting to a higher reality. Avodah Hashem is connecting to a Baruch Hu. And that's why, obviously, you have to have a foundation of year in life. You have to say, I'm committing to the truth. But it's, it's so enjoyable when you're living a life connecting to a higher reality, connecting to the truth, connecting to your true self. And what happened by Yisrael's time is that we connected to our truth. We connected to our mission in life. If you recall, we just gave a shir on, on what Adam's original sin was. When Adam sinned, he created a gap in the world. Hamin ha'etz was the result, the Gemara in Chulun says that the root of Haman is Hamin ha'etz, the concept of Malik, of Haman, of the perm story, of doubt, of saying, does Hashem exist? I don't know if Hashem exists. There's no real truth in the world. There's no real purpose to the world. Our purpose was to close that gap, that gap of doubt, of Suffolk, that entered into the world when Adam ate from the Eitzadas. And that was our mission that's what Kabbalah's Torah was. It was our, our purpose of connecting the physical to the spiritual, connecting this world back to its ultimate source, revealing the truth of reality, living as, uh, you know, being Megala, that truth into the world, or Lagoyim. That was our ultimate purpose. And that's why, in addition to our mission of closing the gap, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is the birth of this Klali concept of Klai Yisrael, of being part of a tzibur, a Klal, being part of a community, B'nai Yisrael, Klai Yisrael. We became Klai Yisrael by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Until that, we were just the Shvatim, we were individuals in Mitzrayim. But when we left Mitzrayim, we became Klal Yisrael. That's why Pesach night, Karpim Pesach, all the details of Karpim Pesach, the Maral explains, all of the details of Karpim Pesach are part of becoming a oneness, becoming a klal. That's why we have, uh, you know, we have a lamb that's one year old. We have a chabura. We talked about it to be designated into this chabura, into this klal, into this unit. It has to be roasted, not cooked, because roasting makes the, the meat more one and, and synthesized and connected, and cooking it makes it fall apart. You can't break the bones because you can't break it apart. You have to eat the whole thing in one night. You can't have any, no, sir, you can't have any leftovers. It's, it's this entity of oneness, of completion, of wholeness. And Kriyas Yamsuf, once after the Quran Pesach, Kriyas Yamsuf, the Maral talks about this is the birth of Klyisrael, right? The birth of the world was where dry land emerged from water. 
the rebirth of the world was the model. Gosh Baruch Hu you know, re-emerged the, wa- the world in water, and then once again, dry land emerged. What's the idea? Water breaks things down into a oneness. Right? It's the concept of disintegration and recreation. Formlessness, and then form comes out of water. When Gosh Baruch originally created the world of form, it came out of water. When we had to recreate the world because the world sinned, Doram Amal, Gosh Baruch re-emerged the world in water, and dry land once again came out. The world re-emerged. Once again, you know, Dor HaFlaka, the world sinned. So that process started again. You have Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Klaishol. Now we have the recreation of the world, and that purpose is not for all of humanity now. Now it's given specifically to Klaishol. Once again, the recreation of our world, of our unique Klal and self, we emerged in the waters of Kriyas Yamsuf, and the Maral talks about it. I was like the, the and the Chazal talk about this too. I was like the wa- woman's water breaking. I was the birth of Klaishol went into those waters and came out. And it's very interesting. This notion is really throughout Jewish life. Every we talked about Nida Naf Lamanamabeis on 30b, which talks about how every single child in the womb, when Shkol Torah Kulin gets its unique mission and purpose within Klaishol, you're in the 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 the, the fetal the, the amniotic fluids you're also surrounded by water and you then are so to speak birthed into the world after your own kriyasiamsof you know your own creation story the world has its creation story klaishol has a creation story and you have your creation story where you came into this world and mikvah is this constant recreation story where you re- you retap into your root you know your 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 fetal self so to speak and you are reborn it's why there's this notion when a chasan you know reborn right before he goes into marriage it's why different times of the year it's when a, a woman after you know yemenida she then so to speak comes into this this new uh new stage of creating life the ability to create life and she goes into the mikvah to so to speak initiate that rebirth it's why when someone converts into judaism they go into a mikvah it's the same notion of going into the water formlessness and going back out of the water into this newborn state so that was the second day we current pesach then we have the kriyas yamsuf which is the birth of klai israel and then the last stage is matan torah where we accepted our mission. And if you want to think of it in this way, there's a beautiful timeline. Because we go from we go from the Avos, which is the root, the seed of the Jewish story. Then we have Yetzirah Mitzrayim, which is the conception, where Klaishel is created, and Kriyas Yamsuf is where we're, so to speak, birthed and born into this unified whole, this unified Klal. And me, you know, we have this notion of we were one, we were unified, we went towards this journey towards Ma'an Torah, which if you think about it, the journey towards Ma'an Torah was the fetal self being born into the world and developing from an animalistic state to a developed state. So what's this, what is Svirus Omer? It's not, we don't count, we build. Sphere's Omer is building. It's why Chazal talked about how we started with barley, which is a food of animals. That's what the, the Omer and the Shtei Lechem is. Lechem, it's, it's, that's human food. Because we go from being people who are animalistic, so to speak, unworthy, to earning it and building it and becoming someone worthy. And if you want to take it a step deeper, the Maharal, really it's, it's, it's developed in the Maharal in some places, but the Ramchal and the Rizal developed this concept that just like we developed previously, we have a first stage of ideal perfection, then you lose it and you rebuild it, and then the third stage is when you've actually reattained it yourself. So the first night of Pesach was a night of perfection. Hashem himself performed Makos Bechoros, Hashem, you know, the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Then we went to 
49 days of building in the midbar of struggle, of challenge, of nesionos, and then we reattain that initial perfection, but this time we earned it and it was ours. And that's why we, just like the when you're in the womb, you learn Kotor Kuli, you show what you're supposed to accomplish, then you're birthed into this world to accomplish it. First night Pesach was that gift, was that perfection. We were then birthed into the, the stage of Spheris Omer, of the midbar, of earning it and building it. And Ma'an Torah is where we get to that stage of, of Kabbalah Satorah, where we, we really experience everything we developed during those days. And here's where we take the last step. It didn't stop there. Our journey is a continuation of Ma'an Torah. The Ramban says that our job in life is to keep that experience with us and to continue building that. The, the, the base medrash and, and the shul, that's our miniature makom of Kabbalah Satorah where we re-experience, we re-tap into that, and we have to continue that journey because on Mount Torah we received our mission and our life is about living and embodying and embracing and really actualizing that mission. And I'll share a, a beautiful vart with you. The Avadim Hayinu, the end of that passage, we say, the kol hamar belasapra b'yitzis mitzrayim harizem shubach. Whoever increases in how they tell over the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, how they remember that, it's praiseworthy. So what does that mean? So the simple understanding is that we're talking about quantity or quality, I meaning different approaches, You whoever says over more of the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, whoever says more different, different Torah, whoever increases in the, you know, giving more great insight into Sipri Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that's Meshubach. But there's a much deeper idea here as well, which is writing yourself into the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Because Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is not a historical event. It's not something that happened. We're not remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It is the story of the Jewish people. It is your story. It's my story. It's our story. And what do we do on Seder night? We're not remembering what happened 3,200 years ago. We're, we've continued to write the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And what's Harizem Eshubach? What's, what's a, 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 what are we trying to do when we say that we're saying that what's Sipur? Sipur is not just a story. It's not just a tell-over. It's safer to write. Whoever increases the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim by, by writing yourself into that story, by becoming a part of that story, by accepting a significant role in that story, by finding a unique way to contribute to the story of the Jewish people, and that is what we're about. We're about becoming an extension of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We're about becoming an extension of that story to fulfill our ultimate purpose. And, you know, people like to, when it comes to sport teams, they like to say, like, we, we you know, we won, or we're going to get that player, or we really got to improve. Like, you're not on the team. But when it comes to Klai so you're on the team. And you're really part of it and you can really contribute. And the reason why we love to you know, follow sports teams is because we like to feel part of something bigger than ourselves. We like to feel part of something significant, something exciting. Well, there's nothing more exciting than being part of Klai Yisrael, than being part of, you know, someone who's, we, we are fulfilling the ultimate purpose in life. And when you can be excited about that, when you can tap into that, you can really tap into Pesach. And I want to just develop two last ideas. Because we've, we've really, 
we've developed a lot. You can you can definitely listen to this a few times. Uh, some of these ideas are more familiar. Some of these are new. A lot of these ideas, each of them in their own right, can be at least a full share, if not a whole series. But I want to develop two last ideas. One is something we began to develop, which is so much of the Seir night and Pesach is, is living beyond time and within time. It's living transcendently and imminently. And the Arizal says that had we not left Mitzrayim at that exact point, we wouldn't have become Klaishah. If we would have went slower, or if we wouldn't have went at that exact moment, we wouldn't have become Klaishah. So he says that we were on the 49th level of Tumah, we would have descended to the 50th level of Tumah, there would have been no going back, we couldn't have become Klaishah. So what's the idea? That when we were building our route, we had to be perfect. Pesach was the root of Klaishah. We had to go bezrisus. We had to be lamalam in Atava. We had to go beyond time. We, we couldn't go, matzah, well, what's this whole idea? You do, you, a little over 18 minutes in the Isra Kari. So why are we so makbid when being perfect with time? So the Vilna Gon explains that time, Torah transcends time. Ideas transcend time. When you tap into truth, you transcend time. And the reason I was explaining that when we were building our root as a nation, we had to be perfect. It's like when you have a, a fetus. Anything goes wrong in the fetal stage, has traumatic cataclysmic effects. Later on in life, you get a cut in your finger, it's fine. You're missing a chromosome, you get something wrong with the, the original zygote, it can be horrible. It's not, it can be very unfortunate. When we're building our root, we have to be perfect. You find this theme many times. It's why, you know, we're not going to go into now, it's why Adam's sin, even though it was so nuanced, we're building the root of reality. Any sin can you know, create ripple effects that affect everything in the world. Nadav and Avi, when it came to the Hanukkah Samishkan, they did something so beautiful, but it was, you know, something very small and nuanced. It was, uh, you know, who didn't command it, so it was something that wasn't tapping into complete submission and negating of ego. When you're at the root stage of any process, it needs to be perfect. When we were building our root, we had to be lamalam and we had to be beyond time. We had to utilize time in the sense where we weren't being pushed forward through the waves of time. We were riding the waves of time. We were using time. Not a second went to waste. And the Seder night is where we tap into that idealism. The idealism of our perfect root. Remember, Pesach night was that gift, was our perfect root, and we lost it. We had to reunite ourselves through Sphere Summer, through building step by step, stage by stage, until we get back to Mount Torah. And when we tap into the Seder night, especially the first night, we have to tap into that idealism, you know, who we're supposed to be in life. Everyone's had that vision of inspiration of, I know who I want to be, I know who I'm supposed to be. Then we lose that vision. Because life is not just about inspiration, it's the, it's the next stage where it's fierce omer, where we build, where we grind, where we work, where we earn it, where we have to really push ourselves. But the Seder night, Pesach night, we tap into that idealism, that inspiration. That's why... You ever think about why we do orchats? Why do we wash our hands on the Seder night, right before having vegetables? You know, we wash before bread. So yes, the simple answer is we want the kids to ask. But there's a deeper answer as well, which is that they used to wash their hands before vegetables when they were makbid for tumantara. Nowadays we're not. But in a certain sense, according to some, we really should be. We're just, you know, really, you know, we don't, we're not makbid anymore. But we should be. So on, on Pesach night, so, so why only Pesach night? Why don't we do it the rest of the year? Because Pesach night, we tap into the idea of idealism, of that perfect root of what we really could, should, and should aspire to. 
Maybe we, we, that's not what we are the rest of the year, but it's not fake when we do a Pesach night. We're reminding ourselves of, yes, there are ideals, there are higher levels of spiritual achievement, there are higher levels of spiritual carefulness and discernment and living a certain type of life that we remember this root of idealism. And that's what Pesach is about. It's really tapping into that level of inspiration of what we could be, both as a club, but also you and I. What, what could we become with our lives? Who can we become? And when Pesach night becomes that root of idealism, the root of inspiration, where we hold ourselves to a higher standard, then yes, we come back down out of the Seder night, out of the first night Pesach, but we remember where we're going. We remember what we're trying to accomplish. We use Sphiris Omer to really build so that when we get to Shavuos and we've earned it, we've built it, we've made it real, we've made it our own. And the last Nakud I want to share with you is the idea of newness, of creativity, of tapping into general Chiddush. Because Pesach is a Zman of Chiddush. It's the, what was the first mitzvah we had? We had Chodesh, a Chodesh Hazeh. Really, the first, midget, the first mitzvah is going to be the, the new month, counting the month, but chodesh also means chodesh, means newness. Why? Because we count by the moon, because the moon waxes and wanes, it renews itself. The shana, the sun, the shemesh, nothing new happens to the sun. But the moon is the, the we count by the chodesh. The Jewish people count by chodesh because we tap into genuine newness. Remember we talked about how Kaddish Baruch Hu constantly creates the world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly creating the world every single instant. Just to give you a muscle, it's like if you imagine in your head, you create someone, give him a, a body, give him a face, give him a personality, give him clothes, give him a past, a history. And now stop thinking about him. You created someone, and now you stop thinking about him. But when you continue to think of him, he continues to exist in your mind. When a Kaj Baruch who creates this world, he constantly wills us into existence. It's like in your mind, constantly thinking someone into existence. If a Kaj Baruch Hu, for an instant, didn't actively create this world, we would cease to exist. That's constant newness, constant creation, constant creativity. On Pesach, we tap into this idea of Chodesh of newness, of our ability to tap into genuine chedesh. You can constantly recreate yourself. You can constantly become something new, create something new, have a new chedesh, have a new idea, have a new insight. You can constantly contribute new things to the world. You're never who you are just because it used to be that way. Remember we talked about Avraham. It says, What's that mean? So, It doesn't mean I'm just like, I'm nothing, I'm dust and ashes. Uh, Dust, what's, what's ash? Ash is you break something down to its elemental form. And dirt is where you plant something anew. Avram would constantly break himself down into ashes and replant himself anew, never living on the way he did before. That's the idea of newness, of constantly being able to create and recreate yourself into something better. Egypt, Mitzrayim, Paro represents fake newness. Melech Chadash, a new king came into Mitzrayim. According to many opinions of Chazal, it wasn't a new king. It was the same king who just pretended to be new by forgetting Yosef. But it wasn't someone really new. It was false newness. It was a fake newness. And there's a beautiful idea. You know, we talk about Hashem revealing Yud Kevavke to the world. What did Paro say? Mi Yud Kevavke. It's rejecting that, that source of newness, that source of, of, of an active, a, 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 a source that's truly capable of constant newness. Paro rejected Hashem. The Yitzhahara. Think about it. This is this is such a profound insight. The Yitzhahara, if you really think about how the Yitzhahara functions in our life, what's happening? The Yitzhahara doesn't try to say, try this new thing. You know, try that. It's the same things that we fail every single time. It's the same Yitzharas. It's the same temptations. But what happens every single time the Yitzhahara says, this time is gonna be different. 
I know, I know the last time you hated yourself after you did it. You looked in the mirror and said, I can't believe you did this again and again and again and again. But this time it's going to be different. Uh, this time it's going to taste better. It's going to be better. It's going to experience better. You're going to love it. It's going to be... And what happens? It It's a fake newness. It's not something really new, but the Yitzhahara quotes it makes you think it's going to be new. That's false newness. Real newness is real chiddish. It's novel insights. It's creativity. It's constantly new. It's chodesh. Chodesh hazeh. It's chodesh. Newness. HaKadosh Baruch creates the world constantly anew, and you can create yourself constantly anew. Tap into a higher level of yourself. You can be mechais. That's what tapping into genuine creativity is. It's, it's when you really tapped into your best self. You really you tap into creativity as well. That's a Torah Shabbat It was a Kaddish Baruch giving us the ability to become partners in the creative process of revealing Torah truth into the world. And that's what we need to be doing in the Seder. We need to really make the Seder something new, something creative, bring something new to the Seder. Don't make it like last year. You know, Take some of these ideas, come up with your own ideas, bring beautiful insights into the Seder night. And find someone who really, I would suggest to you, if you're the, hopefully you're not the only person. Sometimes not every Seder is really open to having such constant, uh, deep, different Torah. Maybe you get to share one idea, two ideas, but try to find someone that, ideally someone at the Seder table itself, but try to find someone that you can really tap into this experience together with. It is such an opportunity. And I would, I would say that I, I hope that this year's Seder is a true experience of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I hope that you're able to experience yourself leaving Egypt in your own way, able to tap into that inspiration of the night, tap into the ultimate experience of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You're able to fulfill all of the different aspects of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You're able to see the hidden miracles within the natural. And you're able to really use this night as the inspiration towards heading towards the journey of Sfiris Omer to being able to really earn what you experienced on the Seder night, which is a true experience of Ma'at Torah, a true experience of Kabbalah's Torah. And I hope you tap into the joy and simcha, the Akars, the Tov of the night, and really tapping into our mission, our Kloli mission as a Chabur, as a Tzibur, as Klai Yisrael, of closing the gap, of revealing that the entire world is, is, is not only an expression of the spiritual, but that everything is, you know, milvado, the whole world is the Ratzon HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that our job is to reveal that even the hidden, even the natural, is really filled with the miraculous. Have an amazing Seder night, have an amazing Pesach, and keep striving.